Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be going through all the action from a busy weekend of Champions Cup as the pool stage drew to a close. Plus, we'll be joined by Montpellier back rower Zach Mercer and Edinburgh head coach Mike Blair. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian's software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Jim, you're looking very tanned. Andrew, let's get something out of the way with for the listeners know because you talk about chasing your tail. We've just recorded for about 10 minutes and I didn't press record on the, <laughs> on the thing. So, lads, everything I say now, just laugh again. Do you know what I mean? Because keep it raw because I didn't press record. I'm chasing my tail a bit. Yes, I am tanned, Andrew. Thanks for the positivity, but I've got a bit of negativity and I'll regurgitate what I just said. Of course I have. I left my iPad on the plane, lads. You what? Yeah, I know, I know. We've already gone through it, but I'll tell you again. I left my iPad <laughs> on the plane. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, lads. So th- th- that's where, where we go back to again. I've not seen any ruggers, like I just mentioned, because I promised Beck on the last two days of holiday, because my screen time was up four or five hours, and justifiably I was on the news. You know, I was just educating myself the, the old time, educating Rita, but I didn't catch any ruggers. Like one... We mentioned being geo-blocked last week because I was fluking it a little bit. Obviously, someone's blocked me. I don't know how. I don't know how Siri works and all that when you're on holiday in Dubai. Obviously, the laws and the rules and stuff are very strong, as you know, Andrew. So I did Because you're an influenza. Well, I'm an influenza, but I didn't want to get my arm chopped off or anything for geo-blocking, so I didn't <laughs> want to push it anymore. So I haven't seen a lot of ruggers. I've seen a couple of headlines since I've been home. I've seen that Fordy's back in the England team, where he should be. Well, squad to start off with. Yeah, yeah. Well, team, squad. I mean, who knows? I have not seen any ruggers this weekend. I know that Was got humped, and <laughs> I know that the bath game was close. I've basically seen the results. Plenty of sunshine over there, though. Can't have been all that bad. The last couple of days were good, actually, to be fair. And I don't know if you know that I stayed at the Anantara in Dubai, so big shout-out to them. You should have put something on social media, mate. Yeah, well, Instagram Reels, Instagram Stories, Instagram Live, I did the lot. But, Goody, you know this because you're a well-educated man, and we spoke about it last week. Did you know that the government in Dubai seed rain droplets into the sky. Yeah, I did. And they normally do it around January. I didn't want to tell you before you went away, but they, they normally do it around Jan so that uh, the rain comes in their least busiest sort of part of the year. A lot of Russians there. It was quite busy. Russian New Year and they're about to start a war, but let's not get into that. Yeah, I was speaking a bit of Russian by the end of it. So <laughs> I don't know whether I should do it now because I'm obviously worried with everything that's going on, but... Andrew, you like Dubai. You've talked it up to me. I've had a lovely time away and I'm well rested going into what is going to be our busiest time of year again. The live shows are back. We haven't connected in a while. Andy Rowe, thankfully, is going back to New Zealand. So we've got someone to replace him 
on the live show circuit for the short term. Have you heard about Andy Rowe's story about going back to New Zealand, Goody? This is how badly he wants to get married. Not that that's a bad thing, that getting married is a bad thing, but listen to the desperation. Andy Rowe, tell us what happens when you land back in your home country of New Zealand that do so many things so, so right. <laughs> so so we so it's a 30-hour plane ride. Once we get there, obviously you guys have done the, done the plane ride. Once we get there, you go through customs and you've got to isolate for 10 days, right? But you don't know where, what city, what hotel you're going to be isolating in, which is guarded by the army. You don't know where you're going to be until they put you on the bus after you've gone through customs. So you go through that, you get on the bus, you could end up in Auckland, you could end up in Christchurch, in Vicargo, a two and a half hour bus ride to Rotorua, anywhere. And then once you get there, you're locked into your room, you can't leave, you're allowed out for half an hour every two days, which you've got to book in and you've got to be social distancing. And then when you get out for your half hour, you get to walk around a yard, which is literally a yard, a prison yard, and you can't run, you can't skip, not that you skip, but you get told off if you move faster than a walk and then you get locked back up and it's 10 days and if you test positive while you're in there somehow you get another 14 days you've got to stay in there my god i was chatting to a bloke at work the other day who's a kiwi and he's going home for his brother's wedding and he was telling me the same sort of thing and i said mate phone your brother up say we'll have a stack do over zoom in london i ain't fucking coming i mean <laughs> who, who wants to do that and reality yes it's different for you because it's your wedding and obviously you know we hope you go back and we hope you stay there but the reality of it is i remember the start of the pandemic when everyone was praising your prime minister and saying it's unbelievable now every kiwi i speak to is giving it both barrels to her because apparently there's nine cases of covid in the country and you're going into another lockdown or something i mean What's going on in the world? Well, the Prime Minister's candle wedding, isn't she? Setting the example. Andy Rowe, there's you're out. <laughs> I've already tried it. I've already tried. It didn't work. You, you keep saying it's costing you so much money, and here's you're out. You said to me, every penny that's coming in is going out on the wedding. I'm thinking, mate, just don't do it. So what happens in that half an hour exercise? What if you goody and you're smoking 40 camel a day like are you just literally sucking out the window or what like how are you getting them i don't know i don't know i don't know how you get through it if you're a smoker but some places have got balconies and you're not even allowed out on those fuck new zealand fuck the police (laughs) (laughs) oh how's your week been anyway goody yeah not bad uh tiring actually i say tiring it's monday i had uh, a quick in and out i say a quick in and out a long day in and out of ireland yesterday had a taxi pick me up at like 6.30 in the morning to take him to Heathrow to fly into Dublin to get a three-hour taxi down to Limerick to get to Tone Park, which was great to see and be at, but there was no food there, so I was absolutely fucking starving. There was no shops around Tone Park. I'm like, Deliveroo, got the Deliveroo app to see if anyone would deliver a McDonald's. There was nothing going on at all. They've just come out of lockdown, so they weren't prepared for it. I'm like, where's the burger van? There's no burger van, and I'm there all day absolutely starving. And it Boiled down to obviously doing the commentary with BT Sport, obviously on the game, which was great. Taxi to Shannon Airport. Taxi driver's telling us, I'm like, drivers, let's stop off somewhere, get some food. He's like, I'm telling you, there's a really nice restaurant at Shannon Airport once you go through security. I said, mate, are you telling me that's definitely going to be open? He's like, I promise you, there's three flights going out there tonight. I know it. It's open. Get to the airport. There's a bar with crisps and Guinness. That's it. So my diet yesterday was basically, I had breakfast at Heathrow Airport at six, couple of bottles of Coke during the game, a couple of bottles of water, four pints of Guinness responsible at the airport with three packets of crisps. So um, got home at one o'clock this morning, absolutely shattered. And here we are the next day. So let me tell you, 
one big positive around going to Limerick and being flying into Dublin and being in a taxi and all this stuff, everywhere I went, people are loving the podcast. There was a lot of love from the Irish public on the plane in Limerick when we got there at the stadium. Loads of people coming up and saying, mate, love the podcast. So, uh, yeah, massive thank you to everyone over in Ireland who loves us. I love our Irish fans. I really do. See, I, look, I feel like we're rock stars, Goody, when I say that. It's like, you know, we've got fans. <laughs> you got no fans? Well, before we talk a little bit more about the Champions Cup action, England named their squad for the Six Nations last week. George Ford was left out, but now he's back in because of Owen Farrell's injury. What did you make of all of that? Goody, tell me this, and I don't think we've ever spoken about this. Owen Faz, Owen Farrell, good friend of mine, good friend of the show. What's the hate around him in the media, like of him not being in the squad? Have I, it might have been me. Did I start it or not? Let's start this off with what, what's the hate in the media? Jim, every time you talk about him, you say like, you know, he thought I don't like him because he thought I was shit and all this stuff. So the big question around Owen Farrell, he hasn't played since the November internationals. There's obviously always question marks. And you go back to last year's Six Nations around Eddie Jones and picking a lot of the Saracens boys that hadn't played at all. He's the only one that has been kind of granted, not a special dispensation, but he's in the squad without being picked on form or, or fitness. So Sam Underhill, who unfortunately got injured again at the weekend, but he's out the squad because Eddie Jones doesn't think he's fit. He's had a few head knocks and all this stuff, so wants him to get some game time under his belt. Elliot Daly, same thing. You know, he's come back from injury. He said he's best off at, he's, you know, playing for Saracens for a few games to get some fitness and come back. And I actually I did a column for Rugby Pass saying that how great, the squad was from Eddie Jones in terms of he's picking on pure form apart from Owen Farrell uh, and Orlando Bailey is the other one obviously with George Ford being out but he's now back in because Owen Farrell's out so the, I don't the, when you see captain you're leading you've been out injured there's going to be questions isn't there around Owen Farrell and Eddie Jones has said listen he, I'm picking him because he's our captain he's our leader he's the energy he brings to the side in terms of the winning mentality and you know everything around the training week and you know obviously the leadership on the field he's integral to Eddie Jones so yeah I don't really get it but I, I do blame you Jim it started with you when you said you don't like him because he said you're shit and he doesn't like you because you are shit that's how it started it, it could, could well have done and for the influential influenza person that I am I'm, no I'm not going to apologize for it but I look at all the other captains and again I've only had a snapshot of some of the media stuff obviously on social media and you take that as as the rule of thumb, don't you, these days? But Alan Wynne-Jones, a guy that I've buried. Questioned as well. Yeah, I questioned him, but everyone else backed him in the media. And he obviously rocked up and they won the Six Nations. Johnny Sexton. You've questioned him as well, James. Of course I have. So it shows you. I've not questioned Faz, though, in terms of like him being in the squad or the team. But everyone else in England seems to be. But what I'm saying is... Have you questioned him? Well, I might have done. Yeah, I might have done. But I just find it a little bit weird that every other kind of tier one nation or big team, like Scotland, for example, like if Hoggy's slightly... Tier one? Tier one. Yeah, tier one. Six Nations champions, you heard it here first. But every other captain, like of years gone by, Richard McCaw, I suppose Sam Kane got questioned a bit. Uh, Hoops, sound like I'm best mates with him. Like Michael Hooper, Sexton, you know, Alan Wynne-Jones. There's not many people questioning. But with Faz... For some reason, it's like, so like the Autumn Nations Cup when Faz got injured and then Courtney was captain and everything coming out of camp was like, oh, it's a much happier place. Oh, are you putting words into people's mouths? That's what I read. Or it seemed, I don't really know. I just don't understand why there is this narrative around trying to push Faz out. He's the captain. So it's like any other captain, it'd be like, mate, like Jono, for example, you're in. 
Like, regardless if you've got one leg, I'm not saying that Faz is Jono, but there just seems to be an underlying thing, doesn't there, about him. But anyway, he's injured. He's seemingly injured his other ankle. And the, what you're hearing coming out of Saracens, it doesn't sound good for him. So we do wish him a speedy recovery, but obviously Ford's back in. And again, something we've not ever said, Andrew. I don't know if you agree with me. Bloody deserves it. He deserves to be back in the squad. So yep. it's just weird how it all works, isn't it? But there we go. Hashtag England. What do you make of Orlando Bailey's inclusion ahead of Ford originally? Very bizarre. Trey bizarre. But then again, you know, he did it in the autumn, didn't he? With Jamie George, left him out in the first squad, put some inexperienced players ahead of him. And then obviously Luke Cowan Dickey got injured. So he brought Jamie George back in. Jamie George ends up starting against Australia and then doing his knee in. So, I mean, yeah, it's a surprise. You cannot question George Ford's form at all for Leicester. He has been one of the players of the season. I'd say the only better player than him in the Premiership this year in terms of impact on his team and performance week in, week out, is probably Marcus Smith, who's playing the same position as him. So I'd have picked George Ford and Marcus Smith in the squad with Farrell there as well, because it's an expanded squad. You know, If you think back to Six Nations last year, he could only have a 28-man squad. So it was obviously reduced numbers. That's when you have to look at players that can cover different positions, and you could argue that certain players wouldn't get in because of that reason. But the Orlando Bailey one, and I'm not... Yeah, I think he's a an exciting youngster who's got a big future. The only thing I did question was when Owen Farrell there and Marcus Smith as your 10 options, if you've got George Ford there as well, would Marcus Smith be just looking over his shoulder? And you want Marcus Smith to be given the reins to go out and run the attack as he does for Quinns and, and be the real leader from that point of view. And, you know, having George Ford there and Owen Farrell, does that undermine him? I don't know. You can only get into the mind of Eddie Jones, can't you? And when you look at the selection... And everyone brings up the Vunapolas. You're looking at the two Vunapola boys, Billy and Mako, they ain't even top two in terms of their form at the minute, are they? If we're being brutally honest. So at Lusa Prop, Mako Vunapola is behind Ellis Genge and Joe Marler, without a shadow of a doubt. Billy Vunapola is behind Alex Dombrand and Sam Simmons, without a shadow of a doubt in terms of form. So that doesn't then become a question. The question comes to Eddie Jones when George Ford is tearing up trees as he was and he still didn't pick him. But it's all sort of water under the bridge now because George is back in the squad and, you know, obviously Farrell's out and we wish him all the best. But it's Marcus Smith's time and George Ford's got to try and put pressure on him to get back in the team, hopefully. Any other surprises in there? Surprised about a comment that I read. (laughs) (laughs) I keep going on stuff that I read. Andrew, again, Tom Curry, very, very good player. World-class would you say? In some facets, he certainly is world-class. He does give a lot of penalties away, but that is the nature of a seven that is living on the edge, competing all the time. But then again, he plays at number eight for Eddie Jones. And the interesting thing, and selection-wise, when you're talking about the balance of the back row, and I mentioned it earlier, Underhill's not in the squad, which means in the autumn when he picked Curry at eight and Underhill at seven, Ludlam's in there as well, but as a seven. So for me, Curry's shifting back to seven. Because Underhill's not in there. And now we're looking at who's going to play number eight. And both of them had pretty big games at the weekend, didn't they, for their clubs, both getting hat-tricks in Don Brent and Simmons. So is Curry world-class? I think he certainly is in many facets of the game. But The reason I ask that, because, again, Eddie Jones is talking about him or has talked about him like Richie McCaw or being as good as him. And I think that that is a ridiculous statement. We're talking about the go-out of go-outs in Richie McCaw. And I'm quite happy to put it out there. And albeit I haven't seen enough of their matches this season because I haven't seen a load of sale. I've seen a bit of sale and I've seen a bit of bath and they've been poor. But I'll say it, mate. And I know he's injured. I think Sam Underhill was better. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, you can get that argument. I think Curry's better ball in hand, which is why he's perhaps shifted to eight. But he'll be back at seven now. So, yeah, I mean, but Sam Underhill's got issues with concussion again. He got knocked out, sparkhead at the weekend in his first game back. A big one as well. So he, he definitely needs a decent chunk of time away from playing. And that's unfortunately going to swallow up most of the Six Nations, I should imagine, to make sure that they're doing the right thing by Sam and looking after him. Because the amount of concussions he's had over the last couple of years, you've got to be very careful with that. So it's kind of a, a question. We'll judge Tom Curry in the Six Nations as an open side when he's going to be an out-and-out out open side, hopefully, and Eddie Jones isn't going to play him at eight because that'll be either Simmons or Dombrant. Well, the Guinness Six Nations is kicking off in a couple of weeks, which means the Guinness Match Point Predictor will be back. Make sure you download the app to find out where to watch all the games and join our Predictor League with the code RUGBYPOD. Get your predictions in to win free pints and other great prizes, and we'll be doing our predictions next week. And we'll be in Dublin next week to kick off the Six Nations with a Q&A at Cafe on Sen. And that will be with special guest Sean Cronin. So just search for Cafe on Sen at Eventbrite if you want to come along to that. Well, let's get into the Champions Cup now then, when all four Irish provinces were safely through before a ball was even kicked. It was a good weekend for the French sides as well, with seven of them qualifying in the end, but there was real drama at the end of the Stade Francais game, wasn't there, Goody? There was, and surprisingly, and the history of the tournament, all I'm going to say is Morgan Parra. A few years ago, all they had to do was get a losing bonus point for Claremont that had qualified. He's got a penalty with the last play of the game and he's tapped and gone thinking he's got to try and win the game. So they, the French don't necessarily always know what they need to do in the latter stages of the pool to qualify. But fair play to Stade Francais. They knew they had to get a win with a bonus point and that win had to be by six points or more. So they had a penalty with the last play or literally the last play of the game it was from, I would say about 50 metres out, 40, between 45 and 50 metres out. And the kicker's whacked it and it's hit the post. It's bounced back. Connacht to lose him. So they try and play it out of the 22. They give a dumb penalty away, Connacht do, and he's got an easy kick to, to then win it And in terms of getting them the six-point margin. So, listen, Connacht were through before the kickoff, so that was great for them. The first time they qualified for the knockout stages of the Champions Cup. But fair play to Stadfront, say. Tolu Latu gets sent off for swearing at Wayne Barnes, a second yellow card. On about 45, 46 minutes, they're about 12 points down. And a French team normally at that point crumbles, but they found it within themselves to bounce back. Connacht were in complete control, actually very similarly to how they were in complete control against Leicester the week before and then lost that game as well. So the Connacht coaching team will be a bit frustrated, but Stafford's a fair play. The pink came through. They got the win. They got one of the last places in the knockout stages for the last 16. And their prize is a... Paris Derby with Racing. What a turnaround from Montpellier as well. Conceded 89 last week and then turned around and beat Exeter this week to qualify. Imagine the meeting. Imagine the croissants going flying. I don't, can you even say that these <laughs> days? Can, can, can you even say? I don't reckon they had croissants out after you've taken 89 points, mate. There's no croissants allowed. I'm telling you now, mate, they have croissants, win, lose or draw. Even if you've had your pants pulled down and, and you were shitting out a bag of croissants. Like, they are eating croissants, full stop. Now, that is stereotyping, Andrew. What, with a cigarette yes. in their mouth as well? That is absolutely <laughs> stereotyping. I mean, that just shows you the French way. We know the reasons why they got humped by Leinster, but there's getting humped and then there's having, let's just round it up to 110. Get 110 points put on you at Leinster to then beat in Exeter at home the way that they did. 
as in that is the French way, albeit two very different teams, but huge. Glasgow. Or is it, uh, you see how I brought it back to Scotland rugby. Poor Glasgow. <laughs> we, they, they were holding out. Probably didn't deserve to go through to the last 16 based on the last couple of weeks, but who saw that at the bookies? Well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, both teams had destiny kind of in their own hands. Glasgow more so. They had a home game against La Rochelle. And, and you don't expect a French team necessarily to rock up who've already qualified, and they did. So Glasgow will be frustrated. But yeah, fair play to Montpellier. Turning around that absolute pants around your ankles job in Leinster to beat Exeter, who dominated Glasgow the week before. And they did they bullied Exeter at times, didn't they, Montpellier? Their pack was phenomenal. And yeah, and then it sort of lends itself to Kobus Reinhardt getting an intercept at the death or with about 10 minutes to go to, to take him clear. And yeah, it was, listen, it, it's remarkable. Everyone was slagging Montpellier off last week for the team they put out and it's a disgrace kicking out the competition to do that to Exeter with a bonus point to qualify was uh, outstanding well speaking of that win for Montpellier we can have a chat now with their number eight Zach Mercer how are you mate yeah very good mate a bit sore today but yeah uh, happy after a good win yesterday Zach let's just go back a, a couple of weeks or a week we should say and a week is a long time in sport as we know we were speaking about the performance against uh, Leinster and it was a non-starter for you boys and it was tough actually when people didn't realise the, the, the kind of situation around your team and you know what you'd gone through to even put a team out what was said after mate like how was it after and how was it on Monday because naturally you know we've been in these positions before albeit not 89 points but you know, 50s and 60s, it's embarrassing. It is. Like, we can say that. We've all been there. So what was it like, Zach, on Monday? And obviously, you turned it around. Like you said, it was... Um, obviously, the team was very different that we sent there. And a lot of lads were really disappointed in how they performed. Like, even though it wasn't a strong team, the guys that had the opportunity probably lacked a little bit of effort and desire. And, and on Monday, it was absolutely brutal, to be honest. Like you said, it was actually embarrassing. And even though I was in the team sheet, I didn't get on the field. But just being involved in that that kind of result and the lads that even weren't involved was embarrassed because that scoreline kind of underpinned us. looks like, oh, look how shit these guys are this season. But we're sitting second in the top 14 mm. uh, and we're actually having a really good season. And then that result just kind of came out of nowhere. And Monday was pretty brutal. Um, a lot of shouting, a lot of swearing and a lot of honesty meetings. And the only way we could deal with it was actually by winning yesterday. And that's the only way we could shut people up was by winning against Exeter on yesterday and that's what we did. And when they're shouting and bawling at each other in the meeting, are you understanding it all or are you just nodding going, yeah? Oh, no, luckily we've got a translator there. So when the, <laughs> so the translator's there, translating swear words. <laughs> Shit! Shit! Yeah. But you can see how, yeah, it was disappointing that result, but obviously we backed up yesterday. And then, Zach, for you personally, I think we spoke to you just before you went and, again, we've said it, with you on here and with you out on uh, on here, one of the best players in the Prem uh, last season when you've played. Obviously a big shock, I suppose you're looking back at Bath now thinking best decision you ever made <laughs> since a second. Like, you, you, like, of course you are. And I say it because you've been carving up in France, albeit not seeing many games, seeing snapshots on social media, seeing reports about how you've been playing. Is it as good as it looks for you out there? Oh yeah, it is, mate. It's massively, um, it's, it's a hell of, hell of a spot here. The rugby, I'm enjoying it. It's good, it's different, it's difficult, a lot more physical. This league, as you guys know, like the physicality of this league is unbelievable. I mean, you look at it and everyone says, oh, it's a really tough league, but this league is ridiculous. I mean, like you said, you go to Breathe at home and Breathe at home are a different animal compared to when you have Breathe away and every team is difficult. So that in that aspect, I'm really enjoying it because every week for me is a physical test and I'm playing, I'm starting, I'm, I'm getting the backing from the coaches. 
which is something that I, I'm, I massively miss when I was at Bath. I got the backing from the, these guys and they signed me for being me and so I kind of just go on the field and play play my brand of rugby and it seems to be working. And talking about your brand of rugby, another player that's got a very specific brand of rugby that we saw in the Premiership, Kobus Reinach and his intercepts. He got another one at the weekend, which basically took you ahead and took you away from, from extra a little bit to win the game. That game yesterday, was it was a phenomenal game to watch. And interestingly, everyone's talking in, in England about the number eight battle between Don Brandt and uh, Sam Simmons. Sam gets a hat-trick, Don Brandt gets a hat-trick on, on Friday night. But Eddie Jones has name-checked you as well, hasn't he? Because he came to watch you against Cast and... Um, yeah, there's some good news there, isn't there? Yeah, well, first of all, I spoke to Corbus actually before I came on the show. Uh, and he's like, oh, well, I want to get on the show. So if you have any other guests, Corbus is keen to get on the show. There you go. We'd love to have him. Corbus is world class. I mean, he, he, I don't know how old he is. I mean, he's about 30 or something. I'll just wind him up. But his speed <laughs> is he's so fast, it's not it's ridiculous. So, yeah, I'm, he's, he's a delight to have to be working with. I won't tell him that to his face. But, yeah, I enjoy working with him. But with regard to, yeah, England number eight, I mean... Yeah, obviously, I missed out. I should have scored a hat-trick yesterday. First of all, no, Don Brown, I think, and Sam are playing really good rugby at the moment. I think the way their teams are played for helped them massively to get into the game. I mean, everything that Quinns do relies around Marks and Alex and puts Don Brown into space and X is the same. I mean, like yesterday, we have a peel that makes mean Sam's on the ball to get the opportunities to score tries like that. But yeah, I've had Eddie, I've had conversations. It's funny, I... We played Cass at home and I walked out on the pitch. I didn't know he was there and his face was on the big screen. <laughs> so I was a bit like, oh, hang on, here we go. And I expected him after the game just to kind of disappear and go off. But he actually waited in the bar after, well, in the in the food room and uh, had a really good chat with him. And I think he's respected me a lot more since I've moved to France. I think he respects that I've kind of just took my own initiative and decided that I want to go develop myself. And that's what he said in that article and yeah it's obviously always nice to be name checked by Eddie but obviously at the moment I'm in France I can't play for England so it's actually quite nice it's just I know where I am this season I know I'm going to always be in Montpellier ready playing every week and rather than having to worry about international selection just right now Alright so on that then there are whispers and rumours going around. I mean, what what is the play for you? I mean, because you've gone there. I'll reiterate, you've carved up when you've been there. You're obviously loving life. You can't turn your back on international rugby. You know that you're in that mix now. You've just said it. There seems to be a little bit of movement. Obviously, Nathan Hughes has gone on loan to Bath now. Your name's been in the mix around Bristol's, Leicester as well. Can you give us anything? Or are you still waiting to see how things unfold? It's, yeah, it's all unfortunate. Yeah, not unfortunate. It's all a lot of rubbish, really. There's, there's no truth behind it. I mean, I've got this year and next year, and then with an option of a, of a plus one to stay. So at the moment, I'm here in Montpellier. I'm staying, and obviously this time next year will be a slightly different discussion. Zach, you do know you know how the French work, though. You've you've just carved up at the weekend. If you come on here and say that you're leaving. You can go in and probably ask for 20 grand extra a month tomorrow because it'll be all over the papers. <laughs> we give you, we give you. But it's, no, mate, I'm, like, I, like you said, I'm really enjoying my rugby. And obviously, I still have aspirations to play for England, but so did Stefan Armitage. But he decided to stay in, in, in France. So I'm not saying that's not an option because I really do enjoy it here. Uh, the lifestyle, the rugby is great, but uh, I am still young. I do still have aspirations for, for England. And I've been very vocal with Montpellier about that and so we'll see what the discussions kind of happen next year but like you said for me I'm just here I'm, I'm focused and I do believe this team this year we can go win a top 14. Just looking at the the current 
premiership teams, you talk about how Don Brent fits in well with the style that Harlequins play, and same with Simmons and Exeter. Is there a team that you would see yourself in that your style of play might fit quite well with? Uh, I think there's a lot of teams in the Prem now are do really well on playing around their strong players. Like I don't, I don't see a team where it's their structure and that's it. It's like I think there's a team where if you have a player in that environment, then you, then you'll adapt to him and the way he plays. So obviously, I can't answer that question honestly, but there is some teams I really enjoy watching in the Prem that that have that attacking ambition. And so yeah, we'll see. It's going to be a, an interesting season here, and then. This time next year, it's going to be uh, some some discussions going on, but it's all exciting. How much are you looking forward to taking on Quinns and taking on uh, Don Brent? Yeah, it's funny because I, uh, before the game, it was like, if we win, obviously we could have Leicester. Or if we get a point, we have Leicester away or we have Quinns away. And I always said I wanted to go Quinns away. I, I do believe this this team we've got, like physically for most of the game yesterday, we bullied Exeter's pack in the scrum, in the line out. Obviously, we, we had a bit of a... That, bit of a brain fart spell for about 50 minutes or so in the game but um, I'm excited to to get back in the Premiership and get, play against the Premiership team uh, in April and obviously to go up against Don Brandt and some good friends of Marcus and that it'd be good to get back there. And Zach lastly from me the Six Nations and I want to get your gauge on the French there still seems to be a thing where the French struggle to travel and it still seems to be that something's still quite there. Like, what, what's your gauge on being in the French team? I'm not take the Leinster game out of the mixer when we talk about this one. Uh, do, 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 is, is it still a thing? Do you feel? Do you, do you feel that's quite a weird thing still in France, or is it kind of past that now? That- I think it is weird because obviously you guys are playing in France. Like, there's a massive emphasis on home games. You have to win them no matter what. And I feel like this team I'm in at Montpellier is slightly different because. We beat Racing away. We beat Stade Francais away. We beat Beiritz away. We've actually, I think we're the only team in the top 14 to take a point, to take any points away from every single away game. So for us, I, I, don't, I don't see it as an issue. Obviously the Leinster one bar that, but it is talked about. It is really talked about. Like a lot of the teams you see when they see the team sheet, they, they just send like a B team because I think they're just like, oh, well, we've got this team at home next week. We need to focus on that instead. And it does. It, that's the thing that frustrates me in the top fourteen is that, like in the Premiership, it's like you chase every game, and then when you have Europe, it's a massive honour to play in Europe. And but then we put slightly different teams out in that, so it's just the French way. And to be honest, if uh, if you asked me at the start of the year, it would have really frustrated me. But you kind of just get round the way of the way the French are. That's how they are, and you can't change them. And you've kind of just got to embrace it and say that's how, how they do it, and just sit there and just take it in. And when you get the opportunity to play, you do it. And but like I said, I, I want to play in every single game I can for this club. So um, it, it's frustrating sometimes when when, you, when you're sitting on the bench or not getting on. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Zach. Thanks, mate. Top lad. Top lad. Yeah, top lad. Northerner. We love him, don't we? Friend of the show. He's been on a few times now. Huh? Yeah, he says what he thinks. He, you know, he, he rocks up week in, week out. I love that. I, I, I remember I played with players and I was one myself where you think, oh, I don't fancy it that much this week. I remember we were playing at Breve and it was Claremont away. And I looked around and it was the Shags. And the coach said, mate, we need we need a 10 to sort of lead the troops around. I was like, fucking Hammy's a bit sore. And we got absolutely pumped by about 70 points, whereas I was I had the weekend off and went down to Toulouse for the day. But yeah, he's, he's a great guy, isn't he? Well, let's look at the other Champions Cup games from the weekend as well. It was another last gasp win for Quinns, but Cass were unlucky, weren't they? Andrew, I need you to... 
elaborate on this because this is one of the most engaged tweets you've ever put out is around this game. Now, I didn't know the listenership from Quinn's. I kind of thought in Castro we would have a higher listenership, to be honest, but there'd be that much interaction. Talking of tweets, I put a tweet out about meatloaf dying, rest in peace, and that went viral. Your tweet about the refereeing has gone viral. What's he done? What's Mike Adamson done? You bring it back to Scotland again because it's Mike Adamson. Listen, Quinn's had qualified, so they made a few changes. Yeah, Cast rocked up knowing if they got a win, they'd qualify. Fair play. Cast played exceptionally well. You normally you don't associate, and I was one myself, when I sat there and I thought, oh, Cast have got no chance at Quinn's. But they rocked up. Rory Cockett at nine played exceptionally well. Is he still going? Still going with an arm like you wouldn't believe. His left arm is about four times the size of his right arm. They came up with a line-out play where Nicosi's in the line-out and you're just looking, oh my God, what's the winger doing? Line-out, well, he ain't lifting, he ain't jumping. He's definitely going somewhere. He front peels and they score from that. They Fair play to Cass, they rocked up and they got themselves into a position to win it. And some people are saying, listen, it's their own fault. Ben Botica missed a bucket load of kicks at goal. You know, if they take their chances, they win the game comfortably. Ben Botica made a lovely break and then he's about to dive over the line, drops the ball as well. So they didn't help themselves. But when they're ahead with two or three minutes to go, and then Mike Adamson referees the way he refereed, let four passes go, gave two dodgy penalties to Harlequins when it, one of them was a clear penalty to cast. But more importantly, you can deal with referees making mistakes like that. There were some horrific decisions. But the most horrific decision, he gives a penalty to Harlequins and Don Brandt taps and goes with the last play of the game. And in the process of tapping and going, he's tried to score... And you know when a player knows he scored, right? He's up celebrating. Don Brandt didn't know. And you're looking at the replay. Mike Adamson's given it on-field decision, no try. Brian McNeese, the TMO, has looked at it and he's gone, yeah, he scored it. It's a try. When the referee says it's no try on-field decision, there has to be clear evidence to overturn it that a try scored. And all the replays, there's a boot on the line and he puts it down the other side of the boot so it's not over the line there's no control there's not how Brian McNeese has come to this decision to say that there's enough evidence there to overturn the referee's on-field decision of a try is flabbergasting like unbelievable and Quinns didn't need the win they'd already qualified they couldn't have finished above Leicester so they couldn't have got top seeding as well which meant they'd have got home games in their country all the way to the final so it's irrelevant for Quinns. Quinns were through anyway. But Cast had the referee and the TMO not concocted a, a basically a balls up in the last three minutes. Cast would be in the knockout stages now. And I was amazed. Joe Worsley does an interview after the game. And he was very calm. And he was like, look, you know, we've got to look at ourselves. It's our own fault. If I'm a coach there, I'm going, what is the referee doing? He's had an absolute stinker. So is the TMO. Because everyone could see it, but everyone's a bit a bit too scared to say anything. So Mike Adamson made some big mistakes on the lead up to where they got to to get the tap penalty. There was a forward pass from Marcus Smith that was about five yards forward that he just went play on. His assistant referee on the far side was in line with it and he just didn't even say anything. So Cast can feel very hard done by and you know it's a real shame. And it's so obvious that it wasn't a try to me that it made the, the decision an absolute joke. But with French teams and Joe Worsley's probably... He's probably pending a holiday for the knockout stage. Isn't he? <laughs> he's thinking there ain't a bloody chance that we are winning this. So he's probably like that. Please, oh god, thanks. Oh god, I'm, I'm so sad. <laughs> and Goody, you were in Ireland for Wasps' defeat at Munster. Were you surprised at how they approached the game? No, not not how they approached it. Just their listen. They've had two massive weeks. They've beaten Leicester at home, who hadn't lost a game all year. Then they beat Toulouse, the European champions, at, at home. And Wasps have got 
18 and 19 players out. I wouldn't say how they approached the game. Their accuracy was poor. They got bullied, physically dominated by by Munster as well. And they yeah, they made three errors that led to three tries, which, you know, an unbelievable stat. Munster have only ever lost five games in the Champions Cup at Toman Park in 26 years. So when you come up with that stat, they've only lost five games in European rugby across 26 years of it. It's phenomenal. So it's a tough place to go. Wasps have had an incredibly tough couple of weeks. Physically, they weren't at the races. They made a couple of errors. You know, it was a chip kick for Tom Zebo to score his first try that took him to be top try scorer for Munster in, in Europe, um, where Dan Robson's kind of hands on hips. He should be covering the chip space. So they've just sort of masters their own downfall, really. Knock-ons and, and stuff that gifted Munster possession. But Munster are bloody good. Coombs at number eight. My God. The size of him, the speed of him, the power of him. I spoke to Graham Roundtree before the game. Uh, he came over, we had a big hug. Was he asking for me? He said to say hello to Jim. He said he loves the podcast. He listens every week. Keep calling him Wigsville. And I've said basically on comms that he should get the job for Munster. So, Graham, we are putting our votes in for you to be Munster DOR next season when Van Graham leaves but we can't say that because he said don't say anything I'm all ears on this I'll put see what I've done because he's got big ears (laughs) also were impressive again against Clermont weren't they now I don't know whether Stevie Ferris has listened to the podcast we know he does friend of the show and I said I don't think also can win the Champions Cup Stevie begs to differ he reckons they can and Stevie is their biggest critic as well so if Stevie thinks they're good enough to win the Champions Cup, then so do I, because I flip-flop and I'm easily converted. But that is a statement win for Ulster because of what they've done in recent weeks and because they're a big French team. So the questions around Ulster, and I said it last week, can they step up when that physicality is turned on? And you look at now the competition going into the last 16, it is wide open. And I say that off the back of Montpellier doing what they did to Exeter as well. So it's so hard to call. And I revoke my statement from last week. Ulster in the mix because Stevie Ferris said so. And I'm with him. Yeah, it was interesting. He's just come back from holiday as well, Jim, but he went to Tenerife and you topped him and went to Dubai. So I did message him and he looked very nice on TV. But yeah, listen, Ulster are a proper outfit. We've said it week in, week out. They didn't have McCluskey. They didn't have Cooney. Doak comes in at nine again, plays very well. I thought Billy Burns controlled things nicely at 10. Balakoon on the wing. And I keep saying it, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but Mike Lowry was on fire. I just find him weird without his scrum cap. I need his white scrum cap back on, but he was phenomenal as well. So Ulster, proper outfit. Bath were always going to be up against the, the Rick to Linster, weren't they? It was an island team run slash training session. That's my point, speaking to Caelan Doris, obviously, last week. So let's put an Ireland hat on because we're close to the Six Nations and we're excited. Them Leinster players, they ain't been tested. They've got Cardiff, no disrespect to Cardiff. Leinster will probably make wholesale changes. And going into the Six Nations, undercooked, would you say? You know, Ulster, obviously, have got to go and have some players in the mixer as well. But we know the backbone of the Ireland team is Leinster. No disrespect to Cardiff. You know, they're going to make changes in that game. Do you know what I mean? Like, how, how do you go into a Six Nations, like, all guns blazing, like, ready to go? Just come out of Europe, has some really close games, like test matches. Leinster naturally would rest players in the URC this week, going into the Six Nations. Like, that's the hard thing about this, isn't it? That's what I mean. That's where 
the golf for this Leinster team in Ireland where I don't think it's good. Whereas you look at England, you look at Scotland, yeah, you look at France as well. They're going to be fully loaded. You can only beat what's put in front of you and, and Leinster absolutely dispatched Bath in every area. Jimmy O'Brien, four tries. First ever Leinster player to do that in Europe. They were just so clinical. And this is the thing. I mean, you're right, Jim. Are they undercooked or are they primed and fresh and ready to go? You know, they're not absolutely flogged. They haven't got loads of injuries. I think Ireland are in a very good place off the back of beating New Zealand in the autumn. You know, the players have played a couple of games for their provinces, but they're not overcooked in terms of energy reserves because they've had to slog it out week to week to week. So, yeah, I, I think Ireland are in a very good place. They're favourites, I think, for me to win the um, all France or England, just not Scotland. Glasgow were in a good place as well, weren't they, Jim? But they couldn't quite overcome La Rochelle. Just dropped off, haven't they? Last couple of weeks, with again, without stating the obvious... I think that extra game kind of took the wind out of their sails a little bit. Probably a bit of a humbler, really. And the difference is with, obviously, Edinburgh and Glasgow, is Edinburgh, with all due respect, are in a much easier competition. So for Glasgow, they've lost a bit of momentum. But again, you look at the quality of opposition without going around salary cap and all these things and making excuses. You're not really, in my opinion expected to beat a La Rochelle. Like, I just don't know how. And they did compete. You know, they did compete. And they, you know, competed for 50 minutes against Exeter the week before. A little bit of a humbler, but I think last week's game took the wind out of the sails. You know, they're out now. They, you know, you, you take take the destiny out of their own hands. And we, they probably, well, a lot of us didn't see Montpellier beating Exeter off the back of the week before, but Montpellier second in the top 14. And like a lot of the media in Scotland are saying, they don't deserve to be in the last 16. So Glasgow aren't far away. They've shown that throughout this season. They've shown that in Europe as well. That win against Exeter at home was phenomenal. But they'll be back and, you know, they are a quality team. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. 
but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Well, Glasgow just missed out on qualification for the knockout stages, but the other Scottish side was a big winner at the weekend, and we can have a chat now with Edinburgh head coach Mike Blair. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you getting on? Good, thanks for coming on. No problem. Mike, we're very good. Look, I've got to be honest, I've just come back off holiday. My research has been minimal over the last few days, and before you came on, there was actually a bit of an argument brewing here because we're former teammates, you captain, me, your vice-captain, at least that's how I remember it for Scotland. Uh, you might remember it differently, but let's keep that raw. Did you play anywhere else? Did you play in Breathe? Like the lads are telling me you did. I'm saying you didn't. Yeah, I, I played for a year. I played the year after Goody took all the money, I think. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey. <laughs> Goody, Ricky Flutie, Jamie Noon took them all their money and there's pretty much nothing left for me. But I kept that club afloat, mate, just like Newcastle saved them from relegation. Another club that you played at. We're having this debate, you see. I'm like, mate, he's played at a couple of clubs that I played at. And Jim's like, nah, mate, he was just Edinburgh till he dies. I'm, like, yeah. I'm telling you now, he was at Breve, he was at Newcastle and all this stuff. I'm like, he's a man from my own heart. Maybe we should have played together. But our, our swords never got to cross, did they? Well, I'll tell you the first time I came across you, Goody, and it's a it's a weird one that that you remember these things. But you played England under 21s against Scotland under 21s at, I can't remember it was, but it was a six, you won by 60 points. Can you remember it? No doubt, mate, no doubt. Was it at Rugby Lions? <laughs> I absolutely dominated. Uh, it could be the pitch um, was rock hard. I didn't get on. But I remember afterwards, and it's one of these weird things you remember that, but I remember seeing you, you're having a coffee, but you're spooning like uh, brown sugar straight from the spoon into your mouth. No doubt, that's, that's me. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't putting it in your coffee, it was straight from the spoon. <laughs> Mate, I'm probably still doing the same now, just straight chocolate now though. Hey, we're trying to keep his blood sugar levels high across all boards, and the only way we filled that blade is by brown sugar and camels, that's all we know. So Scottish rugby's been fenced off, but now we are absolutely flying. To quote one of the main journalists out there, Jim Hamilton, phenomenal is what I've used on many occasions this season to talk about Scottish teams. Let's park Glasgow. Let's just park Glasgow now. We can talk about them in a few weeks, but we'll get into it. Edinburgh, hashtag always, absolutely flying. So it's awesome to have you on. I've been working on the Premier Sports stuff. Mike, you've been very receptive around the media, not just in terms of how you speak about your team, but also trying to engage the fans and engage the community. Not that you haven't done that before, but getting into it, that seems part of the success of Edinburgh is there's this kind of collective effort, not just to play well on the pitch, but to kind of grow the brand of Edinburgh rugby as well. Well, I, I think it, it sounds a bit cliche, but we're, we're in the entertainment industry, aren't we? Like we're, we're here to entertain and the better product we can put on the pitch, um, the more uh, fans we're going to get, the happier they're going to be, the bigger crowds we're going to get, the more revenue that you get, the more guys are going to enjoy themselves. So there's a kind of a circle around it, you know, and and, and it is important for us. I, I spoke after one of the games, I think we beat Benetton at home. And I was asked afterwards, oh, what did you think of the game? And I said, oh, I, I didn't think we entertained the crowd. And, and the journalist said, well, is that important? I said, yeah, I think it's important. You look at the, the not only to put on a, a good spectacle to make people come there. But I also think that, that the game is 
leaning towards teams that play a little bit more being more successful. We saw that with with Harlequins. And, and I, I think that's for, for me, that's the way that, that we're going to be successful is, is playing a brand of rugby that moves the ball quickly, that is physical and, uh, and allows you to play on top of teams. And looking at, obviously, since you've taken over, you, listen, you're sitting top of the URC. It's phenomenal to see, you know, you're putting tries on teams for fun, obviously. There were 66 points scored at the weekend. But has there been a seismic shift, from, in your opinion, of from when you took over to how the team is playing now? Uh, obviously, we know Cockers is a very different coach in terms of forward-orientated and quite aggressive, whereas there seems to be this this bit of a change of of how the players are led on the field. They lead themselves and there's a bit more jure-jure there. Yeah, I think, first of all, and I, I said it kind of in my introduction meeting to the players and I've, I've said it numerous times since, what what Cocker did at the club was has had a, a big influence on on where the club, I guess, are at the moment because we talked about the foundations of a team and the foundations of a team is around your your physicality, your defence, which, which Cal McRae is still doing a, a great job with. But what I wanted to do was was one was to to make the guys look forward to coming to training and enjoy the way that we're trying to play. So that that's first and foremost. But part of that is is winning rugby as well. So you need to have those foundations in place that you can build us. So when the weather's not so good, like a Saracens away, like you can go back to those foundations and you can rely on your your kick chase game, your defense to suffocate teams. But when you get a dry ball, and, and we're fortunate with the pitch, we've got the, the damn health now that it does dry up quickly, even if it's been a bit wet, like it does lean towards playing a, a faster game. So I guess, you know, who knows that had Cocker been here next year, it might have been a faster game that the Edinburgh played to, to suit the the stadium. But uh, no, I've just, I've, I've, um, I've really enjoyed trying to challenge the players there their leadership, giving them more ownership and on what they're doing, letting them speak more in meetings. I'm sure they still think I speak too much, but but letting them <laughs> take control of of things, how, you know, potentially putting across our discussions to the group rather than it always being me putting those those points across. And then what about being a coach, Mike? You've obviously coached at Glasgow, as we know, Scotland, and it was a big move probably for you to come across and become head coach and be making decisions around contracts as well as you know who's going to be playing picking the team and I know we've had some of these discussions at the side of the pitch as well but maybe just for our listeners it all seems like it's all rosy and it's an easy gig when you're winning what's it like being a young head coach of a top of the table URC team I find it massively stressful <laughs> and I'd like maybe I shouldn't be saying it to you because I try and give off an aura of being relaxed and you know, casual the whole time, as as you know, I'm usually like, but I I, I do find it really stressful. There are little t- moments, and there's there's no reason why that you feel little bouts of of anxiety about you know a team selection coming up or um, having to speak to a player about a contract or you know maybe something not going that well in a game, and 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 it's not something that you you can control. Like I, I know people who have had anxiety and I've kind of said to them, you know, that's not that bad. Just just forget about it. But you find yourself in that situation and, and there's nothing you can really do about it. I've loved the job 100%, but I do find it really difficult at times. And, and that's where it's important to be surrounded by the right people. And the coaches, in particular, guys guys around me have been really helpful and, and taken some of that stress off me. And, and it helps being able to talk things through with them as well. But it's an all-encompassing job. It's it's on your mind 24 hours. And just on that note, obviously, you shared a fair few changing rooms with Jim Hamilton in your time. 
Now you're a head coach. How the hell would you manage that specimen day in, day out? The sapping, the way he bought himself. One of the things I noticed, you said, I wanted guys to come to training every day and enjoy it and look forward to coming to training. That bloke never did, did he, Jim Hamilton? So how would you dealt with someone like him? Oh, the rock stars, you just got to let them be, don't you? <laughs> Blade, do you remember that line that I hit in 2009 against New Zealand? You did that little snipe around the corner and I've come at 100 miles an hour straight through McCourt, straight through Reed, and someone's tap tackled me from behind and I, my ankles literally dislocated, gone back in, I've carried on. <laughs> do you remember hitting that ball on that line or not? Is that just one of the memory banks that I've kept? No, the, the only... Th <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not the only thing. I, I remember you making a line break hey? when we were training. Yeah, there, there you go. Training up at Markiston, uh, Phil Godman put you through a hole. Nah, not him. And everyone was <laughs> everyone was shouting iceberg as you <laughs> as you made the break. Sorry, Jim. I, I feel like I'm I'm picking on you here, but I remember there was a bit of a chat. I think you'd written an article about Scotland South Africa game and how Scotland just lacked physicality this was when you're this is jim hamilton the journalist not not the rock star and it was something like you know scotland just lacked the physicality and need to be more physical and stuff and there was a clip going around of when you played against south africa <laughs> <laughs> what happened did i dominate both did i counter rocking what was it it was just the opposite of physicality you're like, <laughs> you just said you're going to be nice i thought you were going to tell a story about being nice there were two South Africans, I think, like going for the jackal. And you you came in and you like you lost your footing just before you had it. You tried to kind of turtle roll and you felt I was just it was just it was a shame to to see it, but I, I thought it was very very amusing seeing this. What on one side you got this article about Scott and we got more physical, and then there's this other clip going around about you um maybe not being quite as physical. I never saw the clip. No one sent me the clip. So it was an in-house joke, basically, that I never saw that I wasn't a part of. Right. You've basically been getting buried by all the lads. It's, that's literally like me coming out and giving fitness advice, Jim. Actually, you know, just absolutely ridiculous. Say you're physical and then being soft as anything at the breakdown. Well, let's talk about Scotland then, because obviously the, the Calcutta Cup game coming up in two weeks' time up in Edinburgh. There's going to be fans there, which is amazing, after Nicola Sturgeon has, has changed the laws around what you can and can't do. But Scotland are in a great place, aren't they, in reality? And as much as Jim and I sit here in debate, I say he's English, but he's not, he's Scottish. The rugby that they've played and the place that they're in as a squad, part of that is massively to do with Edinburgh and your coaching. Is it, They're on an upward curve. Is it their time to win the Six Nations? Jim reckons they're going to win it. It's really difficult because you, like, I think Scotland are in a really good place. At the moment. I didn't think we played particularly well during the autumn, but to not play particularly well and, and beat Australia, who'd, who'd beat New Zealand a couple of times prior to that, was a bit of a statement, I think. So on, on that basis, you're thinking, you know, Scotland have got a really good chance in the, in the championship. But then you've got to remember that there are other teams in the championship as well who are going all right. You know, France beat New Zealand comfortably. Ireland beat New Zealand. Wales won it last year. England should be really strong. Like they, they've, England have got the best group of players, arguably, in the world to, to pick from. So they, they should be, you know, challenging for the top spot as well. And, and Italy, not to kind of take the mickey with them, but like Benetton have been really good they beat us they beat glasgow they've got some cracking players in there so like on their day they can do something as well so it you know the, the question about how well scotland are going i think scotland have been a really good position going into it and there's a really strong squad arguably one of the strongest squads they've they've ever selected but other teams are looking pretty strong as well so um, i think it'll come down to fine margins mike i just want to get a gauge 
now that you've opened yourself up to the media and we're speaking so candidly and basically told me that that clip was going around around that South Africa game. So you can be honest with us. Um, and I say this having been a passionate Scotsman as a rugby player, as a coach, but now coaching a team in which you need a mix of players from where they come from. And my point being, I look at the Scotland squad now, and there's been a few things going around in the media that has been the last couple of years about lads that are truly Scottish or lads that have been brought in as project players. You know, Andy Christie, which was a bit of a, a weird one for me coming in. I don't know whether Luke Crosby's injured or or not because he seems to have leapfrogged him. But how you feel about it as a coach now, having been on the inside with Scotland, but also wanting Scotland to do well, Edinburgh to do well, and bringing up guys, probably similar to myself, who didn't grow up in the system, but kind of leapfrog other players to get the opportunity for the better of the team. Duan van der Mover, for example, we would not be the same team without him because he can do things that Scottish players just don't have the ability to do. What's your thought process on that now you've moved away from playing, where as a passionate Scotsman you still are, but now having to kind of migrate through this modern game and it is about winning and part of that is bringing in project players? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it it depends on the type of person as well, doesn't it? Like how accepting they are of effectively kind of turning Scottish. Some guys like the project players, but you've got the other guys who are the who are like the exiles coming through. And I'd, I'd say some of the most passionate people playing for Scotland are, are exiles who don't have a Scottish accent, who haven't lived in Scotland. Like, you know, Sam Skinner, for example, I think he'll be one of the most passionate guys playing for Scotland. I know he, he spoke about getting his first cap as, as probably being the, the best day of his life. Yeah, du- Duane van der Merwe has, has massively bought into the Scottish environment. You know, VP, VP Nell as well, 45... 45 caps where he's effectively a, a kind of project player, isn't he? But, but he is a, he is a passionate Scotsman. He wants to perform for Scotland. He wants to perform for the crowd and he's, he's massively engaged in what Scotland is trying to do. So I think as long as players show that they're kind of devoted to Scotland and going to put their bodies on the line for Scotland and they're eligible for Scotland, then, you know, you, you want the best guys playing. And is there uh, any sort of initiation for, for these perceived project players slash guys that haven't been born and bred in Scotland, like something to do with a haggis, something to do with, you know, a kilt and some DP or anything like that. It's got to be something, hasn't there? Come on. Did you have your initiation at Breathe? I don't think I did. No, well, I don't know what it was. The haircut. Oh, yeah, they one of them tried to shave my head, so I knocked him out, the, the prop. <laughs> <laughs> Pascal Idiadeh, horrible man he was. It's a big French thing, isn't it? The haircut before your first game. Uh, is there an initiation? No, like there's a there's a song in the bus. You've got to do your, you've got to do your Flower of Scotland by yourself on the bus after the captain's run, just a, a, a lyric check. And it's, it's really, you're really tight in it. Like even the kind of little words, you've got to get them exactly right or you get booed off. So it can be, it can be quite intimidating up there. But mo- most guys get through it pretty well because they know it's coming. And Mike, before you go, let's just touch on the first game, which is the Calcutta Cup. I've never won it. I drew against the English once, but it weren't through lack of trying or physicality. But you've won it. Don't know how many times. I know you've definitely won it once. How many times have you won it, Mike? So 2006, 2008 as a player, 2018, 2020 and 2021 as a coach. Basically, Scotland's Scotland's most successful ever person in the Calcutta Cup. No one's won it more times, I don't reckon. I think I've had this uh, conversation with Gregor. I think Gregor claims to have won it one. I think one more. T- he won it in '93, '99. Um, I think he won it one other time. So I think he's one ahead of me. But 
All right. Well, bloody hell. I bet it was great. <laughs> you didn't win it one? Well, no, I drew it. No, I broke. I got stretched off in 2008, the game before against Ireland. A line-up all landed on me. Uh, my legs snapped in half. I didn't flinch, but the oxygen came out and I <laughs> went off on a stretcher. But it's look, all right, it sounds like it must have been great, Blade. But what is it like and how big is it? Because we do, I mean, we saw last year, it was very different with no fans. But again, we're going over a bit of old ground, but I suppose for our listeners and building up the atmosphere and the energy to what's going to be a phenomenal game at BT Murrayfield. First up, the narrative naturally around it from last year, putting 50 points on the English. But how big a game is it? What is it like as a player and a coach in the build-up to it? The main part of it is the balance between the emotion of playing in the game and, and getting yourself in the right headspace, but also being kind of ice cool around it so your decision-making spot on, so you're kind of winning every moment within the game. You know, if the game gets a bit heated, it's it's how you control yourself, how you get yourself back into the game because there's no doubt that the Scotland-England game is, is one of the most emotional games you're playing from a, a player's point of view, but also the crowd's point of view. Like that, the crowd will get into a, into a Calcutta Cup game even more so than than any other game. So getting the crowd on side, getting the crowd behind you, and I, I believe at, at BT Murrayfield, if you got the crowd behind you, like it's it's worth an extra couple of points as well. So it'll be really really interesting to see how the, how the game goes, what the what the selections will be. You mentioned Andy Christie there. Luke Crosby is injured at the moment, but Andy Christie is someone that you know when I was involved with with Scotland, it was it was someone that a player who we'd kind of kept our eyes on and probably for the last two and a half years or something. The fact he's getting a little bit more rugby at Saracens now, putting him in the spotlight more, pushes in, him in that picture. And I think it was Mark McCall said that, you know, don't be surprised once he, he, he gets on the training pitch in front of the Scotland selectors uh, to see him starting games soon. So looking forward to seeing him go. And the magician, Finn Russell, coming up against Marcus Smith. But you can't wait to watch that, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a bit of a cock-off, isn't it? Who can... Uh, who can, who, who can put... <laughs> Not something you'd win that, Jim. <laughs> oh, come on, Blob. I've got the pictures. Hold on, let me get the pictures out. I've got the pictures. But you 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 build it up and and like if it's if it's Finn against Marcus Smith, it'd just be brilliant. When I understand in the Lions that they got on really well and, and both of them want to play the game in the right way, and they've both got this unbelievable talent, not only to execute but to see space. And uh, yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a great head to head. All right, Mike. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Best of luck for the rest of the season, and enjoy that Calcutta Cup. Thanks a lot, Jim. I apologise. Don't apologise. Just being honest, mate. It makes me feel more comfortable. But honesty is what we are about on this podcast. So it's you know it is what it is. So I'll have a think about how I'll describe you after. So, but cheers, Mike. Thanks for coming on, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Top Shit, bloke. bloke. Oh, <laughs> top bloke, yeah. Lads, what's going on there? He's absolutely rinsed you. He might be hands down the worst Scotland captain I've ever had, I'll be honest. And if he is thinking, <laughs> if he is thinking that Finn's got a bigger slipper than me, then he is, I don't know what he's been doing today. I don't know, but he's he's talking absolute rubbish. He might have been right on the South African thing, but I'm a bit sad about that as well. But... Yeah, he's all right. He's a good bloke. He's a good bloke and he's doing very well, but I'm not very happy. Mate, I'm just amazed you've called him the shittest captain Scotland's ever had, but he's one of the most successful ever Scottish players and coaches to win the Calcutta Oh, and didn't he tell us? Just off the top of his head. Yeah, no, what a bloke though. I I do love it when, listen, the job he's doing at Edinburgh, for him to come on and be that open is, is pretty good, isn't it? Because a lot of head coaches just get put behind this barrier of, I can't actually take the piss out of someone. I can't 
you know, have a laugh with them and, you know, talk about our small Jim's Willies and stuff like that. It's, yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know what? And I, that's why I, I said about the media stuff around it. People start to realise now that there is an entertainment side. Mm. When we started the podcast, people were like, what are these jokers doing? <laughs> Humbly, well, if Mike's talking himself <laughs> off, look at us now. But, <laughs> you know, what I really like doing, the, the, the stuff of Premier Sports, of doing it with hashtag always Edinburgh. And it's easy to come on here. You obviously talk about Wasp Scooty, talk about Leicester, talk about Edinburgh because they're teams that we're close to and involved with. But not just because they're top of the league, at the very start of the season, like he'd come out there, speak to the media, was like energetic, was engaging. So not only are Edinburgh growing on the pitch, they're growing off the pitch as well. And so is Scottish rugby. And a part of that is the media side of it and being engaging because let's be honest, Scotland rugby got left behind on the field and off the field in many aspects of what it was doing. It's now catching up with the stuff on the field and arguably you could say they're taking the ball by the slippers and they're moving forward in, in trying to engage the fans and trying to engage the media. So yeah, class to have him on. Obviously, big game coming up in a couple of weeks and hashtag always Edinburgh top of the URC. You're welcome. Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, a few bits of good this week. We're going to start off with the Premiership and the ITV deal to show some free-to-air games, which is great for the game, great for the exposure. Really important to have it on terrestrial TV as well as BT Sports. So uh, great news for the Premiership. Talking of Premiership players, we're going to start with England's Battle of the Number 8s. Massive shout-outs to Alex Dombrandt scoring a hat-trick. And in response to him scoring a hat-trick on Friday night, Sam Simmons goes over to Montpellier and scores a hat-trick for himself on Sunday evening. For Exeter, so in context around Sam Simmons, what about this for a stat, Jim? 100 first team games for Exeter Chiefs, 75 tries. Even I'm impressed. <laughs> Even you're impressed. So, ahead of an effort from Sam Simmons, uh, that's a phenomenal record as well. Uh, what else was good? Talking of try scorers, Simon Zebo, I mentioned it earlier, he scored two for Munster against Wasps to take him to the top of Munster's. A European try scoring charts overtaking the late great legend Axel Foley. So uh, well done to Simon Zebo. He was absolutely loving life with fans back in the stadium at Toman Park. Still on the try hunt. Leinster scoring tries for absolute fun. And specifically Jimmy O'Brien, who's the first Leinster player ever to score four tries in the European game on the ding a ling a ling. So uh, yeah, they are scoring bucket load of tries at the minute. Stade Francais get a mention in the good. They came back with 14 men and had the understanding of what they needed to do to qualify by kicking a penalty with the last play of the game to win by six points and get a bonus point in attack. So uh, fair play to Stadfrontse and Pink. Once they'd gone behind, they were 12 points down at one point, I think, down to 14 men. Normally, you see a French team capitulate, but they found it within themselves to get the victory and qualify. So tip of the slipper to them. But the goo this week goes to one team. They got absolutely hammered last week over in Leinster. They got abused in the press. People were saying they're a disgrace to the competition. No, 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 no. So French. Pick your best team in the home game. Beat Exeter, who are one of the better teams in Europe anyway. Shipping 89 points one week, getting a mention in the bad to bouncing back to beat Exeter and qualify for the knockout stages. So French. Montpellier, you're going to get the good this week. The bad. Uh, we'll start off with Bath. Their biggest ever defeat at the wreck in the history of the club. Gets another mention in the bad. The Scarlets, they took 50 at home to Bristol's. Uh, not a great weekend for them in Europe. The Ospreys, nearly taking 50 at Sale as well. Welsh rugby have lost every game in Europe this year. Every region has lost every game in the competition. So not good. One of my old teams gets a mention in the bad this week as well. Breath. Breathe. They took 66 points at Edinburgh. 
in the Challenge Cup. Not a good look for that one. Perpignan, they get a mention in the bad as well. They took 68 points at Gloucester. Perpignan are now Perpin Poo again, aren't they? <laughs> they are, James, they are. But the bad this week goes to Mike Adamson and Brian McNeese. We spoke about it earlier. Uh, the handling of the last few minutes of the Quinns versus Cast game cost Cast a place in the knockouts. How Brian McNeese has said there's clear and obvious footage to overturn the on-field decision of Mike Adamson, who missed a forward pass, three penalties and whatever else. I've got to give him the bad this week because everyone saw it and cast her out of the competition. But Joe Worsley's still going on holiday, hopefully. So Mike Adamson and Brian McNeese, you get the bad this week. And then the ugly, only one bit of ugly, really. Tolu Latu got a second yellow card for swearing at Wayne Barnes. You don't swear at Wayne Barnes. He is a man of the law, a barrister, an unbelievable referee. He'd just come back on after giving a yellow card away for a shoulder to the back in terms of a clear out, which was pretty bad anyway. And then Tolu Latu goes for a turnover, gets penalised off his feet, and then looks at Barnsley and says, I got the fucking ball! So Barnsley pulls his yellow card out and gives him another yellow and a red and just sends him off. And the funny thing was Wayne Barnes was describing what had happened and explaining the decision to the captain, Taller Gray. And he's like, oh, he's French, mate. He doesn't understand. Tolulatu is an Aussie. He knew exactly what he was saying. So <laughs> Wayne Barnes was 100% right to give him a second yellow, which meant a red card. So don't be swearing at Wayne Barnes. Tolulatu, you get the ugly this week. Error. Thanks, good. And you guys got a couple of shout outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, it's a sad one to start with. Our former club, Barker Butts, Casey Davis has been in touch and his granddad, Gordon Davis, sadly passed away recently after a long battle with cancer. He was a massive rugby fan, uh, gave Casey his love of the game and was a lifelong Barker Butts man after playing for the Dunlop in his younger days as well. A celebration of his life will be held at Barker's on the 28th of January where bright colours and rugby shirts are encouraged but we're just giving him a big shout out and everything that he did for Barker Butts and we're sending our love and best wishes to the family and friends of them all. Yeah, all the best to Casey and everyone at Barker Butts. And also a massive shout out to Christopher Bartlett, who is attempting to run 50 miles from Brecon to Cardiff on the 20th of February. It's all in aid of a great East Midlands charity and Rainbows Hospice for children and young people. And they provide end-of-life care for terminally ill kids and support to their families. So it's a great cause and a massive good luck to Christopher. Just check out his Just Giving page, Christopher-Bartlett1, if you want to show him your support. Yeah, good luck, Christopher. And finally, we've got a big shout-out to the Bahrain Golden Oldies vets as well, who played the Cobar vets from Saudi Arabia last week. It was their first 15 side game since March 2020. They all love the pod, so we'll give them a big shout-out as well. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Producer Tristan, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to vote for us at sportspodcastawards.com. Check out eventbrite.co.uk if you fancy coming along to one of our live shows, and make sure you have subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, 
and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. <laughs> 